Macworld Podcast number 410, special Worldwide Developers Edition for June 2nd, 2014, brought to you by ShareFile by Citrix, the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to, wherever you are, and Igloo, the intranet you'll actually use. Somebody just died. My phone took a swan dive. Oh, gee. Threw itself off a cliff. It did. All right. Sorry about that. No, that's good. I'm okay. Just couldn't take it anymore. Keeping it interesting. Apparently, my phone wanted to die. I'm turning my phone off. I'm turning. Do not disturb on. There we go. Okay. Uh, Okay. Well, good. Um, (laughs) I was trying to get more more information on background from one of my sources. All right. Uh, For those of you listening at home, who have no idea what just happened. I'm Chris Breen with Macworld. And joining me are my co-host, as usual, Serenity Caldwell. Hello. With a working phone? With a working phone. My phone only, my phone just kind of flew away. It's fine. It had its case. Okay. It's good. And, uh, and Macworld's editor, Dan Miller. Hi, guys. So this was a big, exciting day. And, uh, and we were all observing this day. In different places. I was at home on the couch watching it on Apple TV. Very comfortable. Um, Dan Miller, you were in the office. And I was in the office watching our group chat room, kind of going crazy, trying to get people to write stuff about what was going on, even as it was happening. And were you keeping an eye on what was happening at, or were you just kind of taking reports through other people had, saying, oh, I that had, happened? No, I had one window open to the live, our own live blog. I had another one to the Apple live stream. And uh, a third eye on our chat room, so it was. I was. I was multitasking. Wow, lots of juggling. Wow, how zen of you. And um, and Serenity, you were there. This is this was your first in person live WWDC keynote. Yes, it was. It was very exciting. It was a. It was a good keynote to uh, to have it be my first. Um, and I, I, too, was juggling things, although mine were more physical objects. I had uh, the MacBook Air balanced on one knee and a giant uh, camera balanced on my other because I was taking photos for the entire thing. Uh, so that was that was a very fun, very enjoyable experience. A little a little hectic, a little crazy. but Yeah, well, let's see if we can make some sense of this thing because it oh was, gosh. what, <laughs> something over two-plus hours, we're, right? We're exactly two hours, 10 to 12. Okay. Um, and... Pretty much nonstop action <laughs> for two hours. Yeah, you know, interesting because a lot of times they'll start out these keynotes and and um, Tim will come out and he'll say, "Oh, and here are the numbers," and you have to sit through graphs and numbers and oh, we're doing very very well. There was so little of that. I mean, there was just a touch of it. Like, yeah, here's some numbers, but we've got a bunch more to do. And interestingly, as well, he said we're going to talk about basically three things, and he stuck to it, which was going to be Mac OS ten iOS 8, and developers. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for all those people who have just woken up after being in a coma for about uh, 36 hours and were anticipating new hardware, what did they get? Bupkis. Yeah, Bupkis. They got, they got Sorry, nothing. guys. But it's not – the developers conference is not a hardware conference. And anybody who's followed Apple for – any number of years will know this. Occasionally, Apple will release Macs. Once upon a time, they used to debut the iPhone at WWDC, but that time is no more and has not been more for quite a few years now. Uh, so uh, those people being like, oh, iWatch, oh, new Apple TV, new hardware. 
sorry, guys, you're going to be dis- a little disappointed. But uh, as, la- as I recall, last year didn't they introduce the new cylindrical Mac the Pro? The Mac Pro was, that was previewed. That was an yes. ooh and ah moment. It was. Yeah. It uh, was. But yeah, exactly. They did not introduce. They didn't even do any speed bumps. They didn't do anything. They didn't have time to. They had so much software and software stuff that they had to talk about. There was no room for anything else. Oh my gosh, it was packed. It was packed full. People who are disappointed after seeing this keynote are crazy. They're insane. They're they're absolutely crazy. The fact that and this is sort of the the cornerstone of the keynote for me is, you know, there were some rumors the the week before about, oh, maybe Apple's big touchstone is going to be this home automation service that they're working on and health kit that they're working on. Um, and those things did, in fact, make a keynote appearance, but they were three slides each. And the fact that Apple took what are essentially huge APIs for developers and, and big projects and distilled them down to three slides just tells you how much they had to cover in these two hours and how, like, insane. So much information, so much good stuff that they're doing both for the Mac and iOS. And and the other thing is because it is a developer's conference, they weren't focusing on their own Apple products per se. As Ren says, they were talking about APIs, the, the things that programmers and developers can use to create their own third-party apps that are going to work with these underlying Apple technologies. They, they talked about this health app that's going to apparently... Uh, combine a bunch of inputs from different health-type apps. But that wasn't the focus. It was the API that they were really talking about The developers are going to be able to use to to speak to the centralized database of health information in that case, or the home kit, which is going to allow people to create these other apps. So they weren't even saying, hey, look at all our cool new apps. They were looking at saying, look at our cool new technologies that you, the developer, are going to be able to use. So, Ren, being in the audience, did you get the sense that they were really rushing through this stuff? Because that seemed to be the case (laughs) as I was watching it over Apple TV. It didn't necessarily feel rushed to me, but it definitely felt um, (laughs) well-planned. I wouldn't be surprised if the first couple times they ran through this, it it was, you know, closer to three hours than two. Um, they really, really had to sort of keep things on target and and go through things very quickly, make bullet points, only pull out various features. Um, we didn't even see – I think this is the first time in many, many years that we didn't get the traditional Apple, here's, you know, all of the other features we didn't talk about in OS X and iOS slide that uh, that we love to digest that have like the little tiny like eye beacons and da-da-da-da-da. They didn't even have time to show those slides. Like they, they really, they really were just focusing on. We've got to f- pull out some key features. Um, we've got to focus on why these key features are amazing to both the Mac and iOS. And then we've got to spend some time on this on the developers because one of the big things, you know, may not be interested to, interesting to the average consumer or user that follows Apple um, in the tech press, but um, the the new Swift, the new development language, the fact that they they have basically not quite reinvented the wheel, but like uh, they have they have taken an entirely new approach to the future of iOS design and development, um, and and had to dedicate a fair portion of the keynote to that. That's that's a very very big deal, and I think something that uh, that maybe is going to get like not not necessarily as much coverage in the press uh, as as its results are going to get. One of my favorite moments in the whole thing was when Craig Fegarigi was was talking about the new 
technologies in Swift. And, and he was going through a whole laundry list of, of gobbledygook, and he, he mentioned namespaces, and it got this enormous cheer from the crowd. <laughs> and, and Federighi said, I, you know, people listening at home probably have no idea what we're talking about, and it's true. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the fact, like, it, we, and of course, uh, John Syracuse, a uh, <laughs> longtime promote, proponent of moving away from Objective-C coding, uh, he was sitting next to us in the, in the audience during the keynote, and as they started talking about Swift and, and giving more and more information, you could just see the corners of his mouth turn up like uh, like the Grinch at the end of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, like heart sizes growing, <laughs> so amazed. He he was he was as ecstatic as I've ever seen John Syracuse get. Yeah, you know, I watched my Twitter feed as this was going on, and I follow some developers and I follow a lot of press people as well, and you could really see the difference when that point came where the press was very quiet because most of them were going, uh, I guess this is important. And then the developers just lit up. Uh, and just much like you described Syracuse, just all these people say, no, this is really, really important. And this is going to be awesome. And, and a lot of people, too, were talking about young developers at that point, saying mm. people who are interested in getting into this, they can kind of start fresh because this is the direction they're going in. So instead of having this legacy of Objective-C and having to know all this stuff from years and years ago, now they can sort of say, okay, starting point, let's go. And it, you couldn't see this, Ren, but in the video feed, they kept showing the same 13-year-old kid. I mean, it was Aww. like, it was nice, you know, but it was like a lot of this 13-year-old kid. And I think that was the message they were trying to, uh, to deliver. It's like, we're trying to bring up a new generation of developers. And this kid and the other kids around him, because, you know, maybe there's some 15-year-olds there too, um, represent our future, and that's who we're talking to today. Yes, we know the crusty old developers are there too, meaning they're 23 maybe, but um, we're also talking to the kids, and, and we want this to be a, a living thing instead of just resting on our laurels, but really try to improve even down to the developer level. Yeah, um, something that I thought was really, really important um, not only are they trying to, you know, streamline coding and make it an easier, um, more efficient jump for the next generation, uh, but the fact that Swift's coding base is um, can be used with older code like Objective C mm -hmm. is huge. That means, I mean. There have been a lot of griping from developers over the years as Apple kind of moves from platform to platform. And, you know, the PowerPC switch to Intel was huge. Um, rewriting all of their applications for iOS 7 for the design and new screen sizes was a big deal. And the fact that, you know, they're basically saying, we've invented this new language and it comes ready-made and it's packed full of great stuff. We have 500 pages of documentation ready for you to download on the App Store. In fact, we linked to that on our website earlier today. Um, and all of your old code just works. So you can start with your old code and then slowly mm -hmm. learn Swift and simplify your code with Swift without having to throw everything out and being like, all right, now it's time to write my app from scratch. Um, it's it's going to be a lot easier for developers to kind of slowly move up rather than throw everything out yeah. and start over, um, which is amazing. Well, and that's so Apple-like, too, is that they provide a bridge. A lot of times, whenever they do one of these major changes, they give you a way to get from point A to point B instead of simply just pulling the rug out from under you and saying, okay, all new starting today, mm -hmm. just like the Intel and PowerPC transition. Rosetta, yeah. Right. They made that possible. Um, I'd like to back up and and 
kind of look at some of the um, particulars, let's start with um, Mac OS X is now called Yosemite. Yes. Good choice. No 10, 10, 10 Yosemite. It's just Mac OS X Yosemite, which is nice. Right. Um, so let's go over some of the major highlights of Yosemite. Um, I think one of them has to be continuity. Yeah. So continuity is, I think, uh, the more I think about the keynote, my favorite, uh, my favorite takeaway from it. Uh, continuity seems to me to be sort of the foundational building blocks of what Apple wants the future of their company to look like. Um, and in, in basic terms, you know, what it what they presented at the keynote was, hey, you know how you do different work on your iPhone and different work on your iPad and different work on your Mac, um, but all of them have similar applications and do more or less the same thing? Well, now we're going to make it drop dead easy for you to swap off and hand off whatever you're working on to the right tool for the job rather than, oh, I'm I'm trying to write an email to my mother and it's turned out that now it's been four or five pages and I'm still typing on my iPhone keyboard. Oh, I can just swipe and send it over to my Mac. Or, oh, I can just have my iPhone on and if someone calls me, it will automatically show up on my Mac screen. Or if I want to call somebody, I can click a thing on my Mac and it will automatically dial my iPhone. Or I can send web pages from one place to another. We saw a little bit with this last year with with iCloud tabs um, and various iCloud uh, bits and pieces. AirDrop to a certain extent, but AirDrop was segregated. And this year, they're kind of all pulling that together. AirDrop is now unified, so you can send files from a from an iOS device to a Mac when both Yosemite and uh, and iOS eight are released. Um, iCloud tabs has been expanded. Sharing is now uh, much more ubiquitous. You can send, uh, as I said before, send email messages back and forth. Um, and even though technically continuity and iCloud Drive are two separate things, um, there's now iCloud Drive. And, and iCloud Drive allows you to send your files from your Mac to your iPhone or iPad and even send files in between apps on iOS and the Mac. It's this, it's this, it's this big giant nut that they've just cracked open. And they said, you know, I know it seems like we've been moving at this from a, a little bit of a slow pace. Uh, we've been sort of adding features here and there. Now we're we're laying it out all on the table. This is what we're planning to do. And it's it, like I'm, I'm I feel like I'm babbling at this point about it because I, I I'm still trying to process. The, the sheer magnitude of, of what continuity is going to do for Apple as a company is is really impressive to me. And, and I think it's, you know, what it's going to do for users. It's going to be, I think, if I had to guess, it's going to be the big wow feature. When people finally get their hands on all this stuff, I think that's the thing that people are going to go, wow. I can actually, I mean, when they answered the phone on the Mac, that got that huge reaction from the crowd. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's going to be the thing that people notice the most when they actually get their hands on this is – you know, all of these different things. It's not just one thing here or there. It's all of these different things that you can do on both iOS and OS X without having to try very hard, without having to set anything up particularly. Uh, it's, it's just apparently, if, if, the, if the presentation is to be trusted, it's just going to work. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of Apple's big, big pushing points and has been from the beginning. It's how you get people onto an iPhone. Oh, it just works. A Mac. Oh, it just works. You don't have to set up security software. Da-da-da-da-da. It all works. It's all secure. It's all great. And talk about the halo effect. I mean, you know, one of the big, one of the big kind of pushing, uh, like, 
pluses for the iPhone in relation to OS X and the Mac was that people would start on an iPhone and then become hooked with Apple software on iPhone and then jump over to the Mac and be like, oh, well, maybe I should own more devices. When people are now told, oh, yeah, your devices are all going to work seamlessly with one another. So if you have a PC, you're not going to be able to answer your phone on a PC. But if you have a Mac, if you have a Mac, you can do all of this. And I, I, I am just – I am wowed by the promise of it. In execution, we haven't seen it yet. The developer betas aren't up and, and we won't even be able to you know, necessarily write about them. So, uh, so we won't know for a couple months as to whether the promise of continuity shakes out to be as magical as it looked on, on stage. But, but what they are teasing potentially has the, is groundbreaking. Yeah, I think that when people looked at the, at the Mac OS after looking at iOS, they thought, well, what's Apple going to do? Obviously, they're incorporating certain elements of iOS into the Mac OS, but are they going to turn it into one operating system? And I think this answers that question in that they're doing this in a very nuanced way, which is it's all part of a, of a single ecosystem, and each device is just a part of it. And so that they all talk to each other, and each machine is good for what it does. And when it's not good for something else, then it kind of is willing to pass it off to a better device for doing that. For the, the example of typing out the long email, nobody wants to do that on an iPhone, just you know, do a two-page email. But if you happen to be near a Mac, you just say, oh, this is stupid. I shouldn't be doing this here. It's just that easy. Instead of having to either send yourself a half-done message and, and take it up from there, no, it just shows up and appears. So my feeling as I watched that was like, okay, I think we can simmer down a little bit about this idea that the OS, Mac OS, simply becomes a copy of iOS and is done badly, but rather the one thing is, is good for all different devices in different, uh, in different kinds of ways. Yeah, the um, you know the the big fear from a lot of people was they were, they were going to dumb down OS X and make it oh you're just going to make a, a copy of iOS like you said, and I think the the beauty of continuity is that it it allows the Mac to be a a partner with iOS, not a subservient you know Macs Macs are not as good as mobile devices. It's just that here is an all here is a place for the Mac to live, and here is where you know. Here is defining a, a carved out position for the Mac where the Mac is good at certain things and we're going to focus on what the Mac is really good at and we're going to make that experience excellent. And you can, if you want to do something instead on your mobile device, it will be very easy for you to be like, oh, I'm working on my Mac. Okay, swish. Time to work on my iOS device as I head out the door. Um, rather than trying to make your iOS device fit in every circumstance mm -hmm. or trying to make your Mac fit in every circumstance. Some places are better for an iPhone. Some places are better for a Mac. Um, it, and the fact that they are now letting it, you have sort of interoperability here um, is, is a very big deal. Very big deal. <laughs> there was another crossover effect between OS X and iOS. I wanted to ask you guys about what you thought about some of the design elements from iOS mm. that are now appearing in one form or another or going to appear in, in OS X. Uh, they made uh, quite a big deal about this, this translucency effect mm -hmm. where if you have one window on top of another, you're going to be able to see part of that underlying window uh, on the top one. Uh, the the menu bar changes, the dock changes a little bit. I you know it's funny because I'm actually not a huge fan of that. Uh, they seem to think Apple seems to think that this 
uh, improves your your sense of it being a 3D uh, environment. But I, what do you think? Do, do you like that effect, or is that? I snarkily, I snarkily <laughs> tweeted when that showed up that uh, I asked people how many of them turn off translucency within the first two minutes of setting up their new Mac. And I got several responses that say, yeah, I hate it. So <laughs> I'm hoping somewhere in system preferences there's the option to turn that off just as you can with a menu bar. Because I find that effect, it's beautiful, but I don't want to look at it all the time. I've... I would like to have the option to turn it off so I can just have a nice, solid background on everything and so I can concentrate on my work instead of being distracted by, oh, there's something blue in the background. I don't, oh, yeah, that's right. It's my desktop or another window or something like that. I get it that it, it shows you layers and space in a, in a certain way, but, um, again, I find it kind of distracting. Yeah, um, I... It's one of those things that I think they'll probably refine in the beta process where, you know, I'm sure Joni has a has a love of uh, of overlapping windows and beautiful translucencies. And unfortunately, uh, sometimes that works very well and it's very pretty. And then sometimes maybe not so much for certain apps. So I'm hoping, yeah, either there will be a way to turn it off or there'll be a way to, to dilute it. I mean, we, we've we seen this with iOS 7 to a certain extent, right, with all of the accessibility features to, like, tamper down translucency and make contrast higher. So I wouldn't be surprised if there were similar features hidden away in, in OS 10. I liked the, the, the what they showed of the streamlined toolbars, uh, particularly in Safari and that sort of thing. I mean, they, they've kind of reduced the real estate that some of the, the toolbars take up uh, in certain apps. And, and I do like that. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, very much so. It's, it's interesting. Uh, Safari in particular is a, is a good example of, again, I think the – Apple has done this uh, with a lot of different programs um, and in a lot of different ways where they – they take something and to a pro user, they're like, oh, my God, all of my features are gone. Why is this, why is this so streamlined? Why is this so, so simple? And um, then when you dig into it a little bit, you realize, no, actually, the features aren't gone. They're just either hidden so that the average user doesn't necessarily need to run into menus that they're never going to use. Or they've been integrated in such a way that it's slightly easier for the average user to, to access, but also for pro users. It's just a slightly different thing. You saw that with Final Cut Pro um, with people sort of getting outraged with that and iMovie before it um, with iOS 7 to a certain extent. And now like looking at, this, looking at Safari is a great example because now Safari ships with a lot of its sort of defaults uh, like the, the tab bar and the toolbar and, and the status bar and the tabs all hidden. Um, and they only show up when asked for, when called. Um, and the idea of, oh, well, we'll we've made the tab bar but uh, or your favorites bar um, still available if you want to watch it or if you want to look for it. But you can also click this the uh, the URL bar and um, and your favorites will appear below that in like little icon form. So there's it's it's really interesting how they're trying to simplify the operating system without necessarily taking features away, which I really appreciate. I mean, as a as a semi power user, you know, I want to be able to have uh, tools at my disposal when I when I need them. But at the same time, I'm glad that they can be hidden so that when I try and explain to my mother, oh, well, this is how you, you know, how you access X, Y, and Z. She doesn't have to be like, well, there's this menu and this menu and they all look very similar. 
Yeah, I think I think it will be a good thing going forward. Well, we have lots more to talk about with Yosemite, but before we do, a word from ShareFile by Citrix, the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to, wherever you are. The constant flow of information is crucial to business. Contracts, spreadsheets, invoices, and other important business files are sent as regular email attachments with no reliable means to ensure that they've been received or reviewed. You lose control the moment you hit send, and that's why you need Citrix's ShareFile. It's the easy-to-use business solution for sending, receiving, and sharing files. With ShareFile, your attachments are sent as secure links, so you can send files of almost any size without bounce backs, and we're talking about gigabyte files here. Also, the files are under your control. You decide who has access to your files and for how long. You can receive notifications telling you who opens your file and when, plus you can password protect files for optimal security. Then you can easily share files and collaborate with others. And ShareFile mobile apps allow you to access your files anywhere, anytime. Now, I use ShareFile, but I don't use it for everything. There are certain services where you just throw a file up into the cloud, somebody else can get it, and that's fine. But I don't happen to be an attorney or an international man of mystery or someone who really, really needs to protect my files most of the time. If you are one of those people and you're concerned about the security of your files, ShareFile is the way to go. Also, I found it helpful for sending files when somebody doesn't belong to a service that I happen to belong to. So how can you get in on this? All you have to do is sign up today for a 30-day free trial. No obligation. Go to sharefile.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter Macworld. Again, visit sharefile.com and type in Macworld. And the other thing that seemed to be a big deal in Yosemite is search, right? They brought Spotlight out of the menu, and it's like right in the middle of the screen. So why is that so important now? <laughs> what, a fine, both... <laughs> what a fine question that is, Chris. We both pause. <laughs> you know, I got to admit this was part of the, the keynote that I was watching out of the corner of my eye because I was doing something else. But the the impression that I got from everybody who, who I, I talked to afterwards and, and uh, looking at our live blog is that it, it A, uh, Spotlight's much more uh, – it's, it's – uh, its capabilities are more varied. It can search more uh, different kinds of, of information than it used to. And that it behaves a little bit more like a launcher, like Alfred or Launch Bar, where it's like right there in the middle of your screen and you can do all kinds of different things with it. You also get these live results so that if you find a contact, you can see a lot of contact information about that contact, not just have to look them up in or her in your contacts app. Um, so it just seemed like it's a little bit more varied and a little bit more sort of front and center to your experience. It's not that thing up in the corner anymore. Yeah, that was the sense I got because when I saw him demonstrating some of the stuff and he was like doing math and and, and some other functions, like, well, that, that was there before, but it was not presented very well. Now, as it's in the middle of the screen, suddenly that information becomes more useful and it also encourages you, you to use Spotlight for that kind of thing instead of going off to Calculator or some other little app to do something that you could have easily done in Spotlight, but you didn't know how, or the, the results were sort of unpleasant to look at. Mm -hmm. the, um, they're, they're training the average population on the idea of a, a launcher, uh, which has been a pro, a kind of pro feature for a very long time. And you have things like Quicksilver and things like Alfred. Um, and building that in at the, at the OS level, 
in encouraging people to be like, yeah, if you click that or if you press command spacebar, you have access to the entire web at your fingertips and, and launching capabilities uh, to launch your favorite apps or to do co- equations, things like that. Um, it's, it's, again, a really powerful feature disguised as a dead, simple, easy-to-use feature. It's, it's something that comes up, you know, when I do tech support for people that I forget because I use Alfred all the time to launch apps and files and things like that. But, you know, easily three-quarters or of the people who I help out um, with their Macs, they all use Spotlight. Spotlight's actually yeah. really common. They, they, they don't call it Spotlight. They call it the magnifying glass. Right. Um, you know, but but it really is useful and I th- are, are commonly used. And I, I think what Apple's doing is acknowledging that and saying, well, if that's what people are going to do, let's put more stuff in there. Right. Now, before we leave Yosemite, uh, one other thing about iCloud Drive. Is is this the kind of thing that is going to cause the people at Dropbox to take to their fainting couches? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think that the biggest, the biggest announcement that potentially has the ability to disrupt Dropbox is the pricing. Um, Apple's pricing schema basically allows for 20 gigabytes for 99 cents a month, which is huge in comparison to Dropbox's, you know, 100 gigabytes for $10 a month. Um, and they they apparently have plans offering up to one terabyte, especially when combined with the new iCloud Photos uh, option, which basically has the potential to not only store every photo you've ever taken or stored on your iOS device up in in uh, photo stream. But also, once it comes to the Mac next year, you're talking about being able to store all of your photos in the cloud with Apple, have it securely and privately there, and be able to share it from there. And that's that's really huge. Dropbox, of course, just bought Loom, so they have the potential to uh, to do something similar, but they're, they're uh, their plans are not quite in place. Their their structure is not quite in place for it yet. Um, and having Apple sort of again bake this into the operating system is a is a really big deal. As for the iCloud Drive itself and the folders, um, it's a little bit playing catch up with Dropbox at this point. We'll see if that actually becomes a way a superior way to use Dropbox. We still haven't found out whether this is just stuff that's synced in between your own devices or whether you can share links and share folders and share folders with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, key Dropbox features. Um, that's that's still to be determined, um, but it's definitely a much welcomed inroad into uh, into document sharing without having everything be siloed in its own little app and have people be frustrated. And speaking of much welcomed, I must say the the one thing that that made me uh, quietly applaud uh, during the keynote was when they announced that AirDrop now works between iOS and OS ten because that was Yay. always that was always one of those yes. head scratchers that just made me go why can't you do that that seems very simple to me but what do I know but now they're you're going to be able to share files directly uh, from your from your phone your your tablet to your Mac and uh, you know that will be something that Macworld editors at the very least Macworld editors will will applaud mm-hmm. yes me too. So let's move on to iOS 8. Um, they announced this as a giant release. And if they could speak in all caps, they would say giant in all caps. Because <laughs> it was they, huge, apparently. They almost did. I mean, if they, had, if they could, if, if, if Siri could demonstrate their words, it would have been caps. Um, there's a lot in iOS 8. There's, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And not even, 
Like I was looking back at our live blog just to try and remember what was going on. And it's like, first of all, you've got continuity, which sort of carries over from OS 10 and already got talked in about in the Iowa in the OS 10 presentation. Um, you've got a better notification center, um, streamlined. The the missed tab is gone. You've got third party widgets, which are being called extensions. Um, and I saw I saw a hint of a. Uh, of an extensions logo that looked very similar to the old extensions logo that we know and love from pre-OS oh. 10, which got me really excited. Um, it, they've got, you know, uh, sort of improved things in the multitasking menu. So in addition to recent apps you've used, you can uh, access your favorites and people you call often. Um, gosh, there's new stuff in Mail, um, new stuff in Safari, new stuff in in their search and their spotlight uh, that adds things like news and Wikipedia um, inline recommendations. There's predictive typing, quick, uh, quick key is swift, quick, quick, quick type, quick type. There we go. I was like, quick keys is something different. Um, quick type. So not only is it predictive typing, um, but it's smart predictive typing. So not only it, it recognizes um, what kind of questions you're answering, what medium you're answering them in, whether it's messages or email, and who you're talking to. And it's all done privately on the device, so it's not sent away. Like, your information is not sent away somewhere somewhere special um, for, for the computers to analyze it. It's all done on your phone, uh, which is amazing. Uh, really, really cool. And I, I can't wait to try that out. Um, New stuff in messaging. They've got some uh, some Snapchat-like things where you can attach voice men messages and uh, and quick video messages that will be deleted automatically unless you choose to keep them after a certain amount of time. You can have named group threads. You can have do not disturb for those group threads and leave group thread permanently if you're one of those people who ends up getting stuck on group messages that just go forever, um, which as, uh, as someone who manages a, a, a team, that happens a lot. Um, the... the uh, pushing, which is, again, part of continuity of SMS messages to your Mac and to your iPad, even if you don't have uh, you don't have a cellular data connection, which is really cool. iCloud Drive Incorporation, HealthKit, family sharing. Yeah, can we uh, – family sharing, I got to say, you know, as somebody who just spent, you know, part of the weekend trying to set up his own – his son's uh, iCloud account on his phone and trying to get all that to work and make sure the music was there. It was just it, – it's been a pain in that. Well, and so if family sharing works the way that it says it's going to work, I'm going to be very happy. Yeah. So is your overall impression, both of you, on iOS 8 is that these are features just basically to make these devices easier to use versus kind of deeper features? Because, for example, I was looking at mail and thought, OK, some new gestures. That's nice. But some of the really fundamental things I want from it, like spam filtering, like creating rules in there, none of that's happening because no. they're not trying to give that to you, but rather just sort of like, oh, yeah, you want to get rid of this? Here, here's a new swipe gesture for you. Or you want to do an unread gesture. Here, we can give that to you as well, but not sort of like, no, this is what the nerds really want, so let's do that sort of thing. Now, my impression was they were, they were, they were getting rid of a lot of obstacles 
in, mm-hmm. in the OS, both OSs, really. They're making it easier to use while at the same time giving developers tools to say, hey, you go out and create some new stuff. That Apple itself wasn't necessarily focusing on all the new stuff. They were, they were making the interfaces sort of easier to use and providing tools that were easier to use, but not necessarily introducing revolutionary stuff themselves. No, I mean, there's there's lots of little things in here, but we're talking about stuff, again, streamlining, um, connecting the two operating systems and letting it be easier to work together. Uh, and But there are, you know, little things, uh, new Siri stuff, uh, which was covered very briefly in like 30 seconds worth of a slide, um, and a lot of SDK stuff. I think most of the really revolutionary things in iOS 8 we won't be able to really comment on until the fall because you've got stuff like extensions, which, uh, you know, the the demo that was shown on stage at the keynote was, you know, an app called Waterlog, which um, which I think you and I have talked about a decent amount, Chris, mm-hmm. uh, before uh, having that and basically have it existing as a filter inside your camera app, which is crazy. And, and having those kind of tools exist and third-party keyboards um, and notification center widgets, all of this stuff um, we won't really be able to see the, the true potential of until people start developing for them. Um, and that will hopefully happen this summer and, and people they'll probably be encouraging people to start developing at this conference. And in the fall, I mean, we're talking about entirely new versions of the App Store basically for, for extensions and widgets and stuff like that. Um, it's 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 opening up the platform in a really substantial way that we really have. You know, iOS traditionally has been very locked down, mm-hmm. and they've they've found a way to open Pandora's box without letting security holes run run free. And to be able, I I think it's it's the potent. It has a lot of really really exciting potential. We just won't be able to to point at it and be like, yes, this works now. I'm hoping that it's going to address mostly those issues where you say, why do I have to go to the share menu to do <laughs> this within this app when this app should do it? Yep. Because uh, it's all this round tripping, right? Where you have to take a, something in, a, in one app, send it to another app, there, therefore making another copy of it, doing something over there, and then sending it back again or sending it to yet a third app so that if you can do this through extensions, through a common thing that people want to do, tap this thing, oh, look, I can do this just by doing this, and it happens in the app. Sure, it's talking to another app to make that happen, but it's happening under the hood. I don't want to see this happen. I don't want to do it myself. I don't want to carry the water from here to there. I just want it to work. Yeah, I thought it was very cool because you've had apps on iOS like Drafts and Launch Setter Pro and, what is it, Editorial or mm-hmm. Editorial? Where you URL know, schemes. You had URL schemes that allowed apps to talk to each other, and it was incredibly geeky and incredibly well, it wasn't hard to set up, but I mean, I don't know a lot of people who really went to the trouble to do it. I mean, some people did, but so I think what it's doing is is it's making that kind of inter app communication a whole lot easier. And that is really gonna I think that's a huge quantum leap forward for iOS. It's been it's been one of the biggest weaknesses of the operating system is that you couldn't really have apps talk to each other in any productive way. And this gives you the ability to do that. So I think it's gigantic. Yeah. If um if it works the way it looks like it's gonna work, that's gonna be my favorite feature. I will just I'll claim that territory <laughs> right now, plant my flag there and say, that's it. Because it seems to me it's gonna remove a lot of frustration that I've had with, with iOS feeling like 
I'm intentionally having to jump through these hoops because of sandboxing. If you can make the pain of sandboxing go away to the user, good on you. I don't care how you do this. If you want to make it more secure, that's great. But don't make it my problem. You deal with it, and, and I'm a happy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, to, because I am such a happy guy, I want to talk about Igloo. And the reason I do is because it's the internet that you'll actually like. Igloo, the internet you'll actually like, is about to get better. Igloo's next release, Unicorn, is coming this summer, and with it comes Social Task Management, a brand new feature fully integrated throughout the Igloo platform, providing the perfect balance between project management and getting your day-to-day work done. You can manage your projects with Task List, optimized for large groups of people. You can assign tasks for any piece of content, like requesting changes be made on a document. And you can create personal tasks that are assigned to you or another person. And you can see all your tasks in one unified view. Learn more at igloosoftware.com macworld. Or come see Unicorn in person. Igloo is hosting an event in Toronto on June 12th with customer presentations by Hulu and Nextel International. Register at igloosoftware.com Toronto. Okay, so let's wrap up a little bit talking about the geeky stuff. And this is, again, kind of where the future is. And this is the stuff that they talked about for developers, where many of us in the press looked and sort of opened our mouths and went, I have no idea what that means. But (laughs) it seemed to be very exciting to people in the room. So um, we talked a little bit about HealthKit. And so, briefly, what does this do that's not going to scare the bejeebies out of uh, hypochondriacs? Well, uh, my understanding is that it's going to be a sort of common database that a lot of different apps can talk to to record uh, health and fitness-related data, which that data can then be used by other apps, speaking as we did just now about how it's going to help inter-app communication. That's going to be a a way for health-specific apps to talk to each other. But more importantly, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to work with the kinds of information systems that large-scale healthcare organizations use, like uh, the Mayo Clinic and the Stanford Clinics here in in California. So there are actually, you know, some very uh, profound possibilities here for people to have uh, healthcare apps that tell their doctors what's going on. Uh, it's it's got enormous potential. We'll see how it works out, but it's got actually quite quite significant potential. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see how that all shakes out. Uh, it's again, it's hard to say right now. Oh, this is going to be phenomenal, or oh, this is not going to work so well. It's like Passbook, right? Where when we first saw Passbook, mm-hmm. we couldn't really do anything with it because there there were no companies using it. Um, but as the as the time went on, it became more and more obvious. It's like, oh, well, we can use Passbook for this, Passbook for that. Um, so being able to see, you know, how the Mayo Clinic uses uh, uses HealthKit and uh, how other uh, healthcare companies end up integrating it, that will be very very cool. Now, something the developers seem to be really excited about, and and I even caught some of this excitement was the um, Touch ID API that people are now going to be able to use the the locking mechanism through fingerprint detection on their iPhone 5S, and we assume these, this technology is going to come to other iOS devices as well. I see a load of potential there, not just in security, but in mobile payment services. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mobile payment is a great opportunity here uh, for apps like Square, for example. Um, but I, I think the uh, the other big thing is you're talking about all of these apps that 
potentially store uh, really, really sensitive information like Mint, for example, storing your bank accounts information and all of your uh, personal data or apps where you're scanning things or apps where you want to have sensitive uh, sensitive documents and you want to have those locked behind a locked behind a passcode. Now, instead of remembering five different passcodes, that developer can tap into the Touch ID data. And of course, they're basically only tapping into a key, not the actual data itself. The data itself is still stored on the phone in sort of that secure enclave. Uh, and that's that's really, really neat. You know, it's a, it's a really cool uh, implementation potentially. Right. And the other things we have to look forward to as consumers, um, HomeKit, which is the home automation stuff we were talking about. Yep. Again, unlike some people who suggested otherwise, Apple is not going to be making refrigerators or security cameras or <laughs> sockets or thermostats, but really they're just gathering together kind of a standard so that others can manufacture to that standard, and then you can control these things through your iOS devices. So cool, yes? Yes, very cool. Well, I, uh... I was actually disappointed. <laughs> uh, I, I was really looking forward to the Apple Power Strip. I thought that would have been really cool, Aww. but I didn't get it. At least not yet. Maybe not in yet. the fall. Maybe yeah. in the fall. And then um, Metal, which is a 3D graphics rendering thing. I didn't understand a word of it, but the demos were really cool. Um, <laughs> just showing pretty. that you could draw so many triangles with this A7 processor because it talks to the hardware much better than uh, whatever they were doing under iOS 7 and previous. So that looks good, particularly for gamers, that you're going to get really these luscious looking 3D objects because of this technology. Uh, sprite kit, scene kit, uh, Xcode, Swift, which we <laughs> talked about a little bit. Um, you know, again, judging by the excitement in the crowd, this is going to be big. And what it translates to us is that we're going to see cooler stuff on our on our devices because developers can take advantage of this. So, um, I think this was a WWDC keynote, and they ended in the right way, which was to talk to developers and get them fired up about what they could do and really show that not only do they care about developers, as the opening video showed, because you know it makes money for Apple and, and it pleases people around them, but also they're trying to give them some great tools so they don't jump off to Android. There were a few Android shots, I thought, during the... Uh, the keynote and, and just a few i thought that was pretty funny and a window shot of course yeah okay well speaking of funny let's talk about the goofiness of this presentation i i don't like to invoke the this would never happen under steve but i'm going to <laughs> i have to think some of these skits and little funny bits would have um not made the cut and uh and a, a lot of it was because Craig Federighi was on stage. He's very relaxed on stage. I think he's a naturally funny guy. Um, but, Ren, being in the room, did it sort of like, was it like, okay, come on? Or was it like, no, this guy's really funny. This no, is, this is so cool. No, he was delightful. He was good. Um, he did a really good job. It was really funny. It was well-paced. Um, there was, you know, it's... There's always the danger of having humor in presentations, of having it feel kind of like hokey dad jokes, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like the the overall presentation that they gave was very much like we have we have a good time and we laugh and we like enjoy each other's company at Apple and like they all seemed very at ease, which is the sign of really good practice. Uh, but they all, you know, they 
it it came off very very smoothly and very seamlessly to me. And uh, even you know, the, it's clear that the guys love working for the company and that they they have fun working for the company. You know, it's not just a bunch of suits standing up on stage being like, oh, oh maybe we go on a camping trip together and see how that works out. <laughs> <laughs> and no Phil Schiller. And no Phil Schiller. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's uh, he's off, you know, doing worldwide things. But there there wasn't a lot of Mac hardware, you know? Right. That's that's usually his, his bailiwick. Yeah, that's what I figure. He's the hardware guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I didn't see him in the audience either, and there was one reference to him, so I figure he's probably in China working something out, or who knows? Maybe he took the day off. I, I've got to say, I was impressed with just how smooth the whole thing went, mm-hmm. and smoothly. I mean, it just there weren't any that I can think of. There weren't any, you know, any major disasters, any major uh, goofs, any major, you know, the Wi-Fi didn't go out in the middle of the presentation, anything like that. It, it, you know, it was it was very polished. And yet, as Ren says, it was it was kind of had a nice relaxed vibe to it. So it was um, uh, they 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 presented themselves very well. I thought the most awkward part was Dr. Dre. I thought he 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 didn't seem like he really wanted to be there. But you know, well, I think they had, yeah they had to nod to Beats somehow. And I oh, think I know they had to do something. Right, that's how they took care of it. And they said, yeah, it's Dr. Dre. And so there he is. That was fine. And I I think as Ren talked, Ren and I talked about last week or the week before. That the fact that they stream this thing shows a real confidence uh, of Apple in that technology. Mm-hmm. I think in the past they didn't do it because they weren't quite sure it was going to work. Or and they the do it the day of. Minutes, yeah. And they they do this beautifully. I mean, the thing is so polished and so beautifully directed. Um, clearly, they've put a lot of time and effort into, into doing this right. But uh, my stream was great, and I don't have a great broadband connection. And it, uh, it looked really good. So... Mm-hmm. Kudos to the whole team there for for pulling off a major event like that and uh, and doing it quite as well as they did it. So I think that wraps it up for the podcast. Let's just get you know last thumbs up, thumbs middle, thumbs down. How was it? All thumbs up. I was very impressed. It, and was, it was very impressive. Yeah, was, there's a ton of stuff coming down the pipeline. There's a ton of stuff to and, play with. You know, we're going to be talking to developers uh, during the week, off the record, of course, and and getting their impressions on these things. But uh, uh, I got to think that they were just based on the crowd reaction. I think they were pretty pretty psyched as well. Mm-hmm. As well, they should be. And and I did check in on the mainstream press to see if there was a lot of moaning about not having any new hardware. And honestly, I didn't see a lot. And either that's because they've got good people covering this stuff or they're waiting till tomorrow for the the distortion field to wear off. But I, I really didn't see a ton of griping that I think most people who saw it, got it, understood that that Apple is really opening the door to some exciting developments uh, in the next six months, in the next year or so. And that hardware is going to naturally follow after it. Um, so I too, I both my thumbs are up right now, which is a little awkward, but <laughs> so I'm going to put them down. And with that, I will say good on you, Apple, and uh, thanks for being here, Dan Miller. You're very welcome. And of course, Ren, great talking to you as always. As always, Chris. And that wraps up this special edition of the Macworld Podcast. But before we go, a plea for me. Please help the Macworld Podcast stay free to download by completing a short anonymous survey. 
It takes no more than five minutes. Your answers will help match our show with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of our podcast and its listeners like you. Listeners who complete the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. We promise not to share or sell your email address, and we won't send you email unless you win. Please go to www.podsurvey.com slash Macworld. That's www.podsurvey.com slash Macworld to take our survey and get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Thanks very much for listening.